0: Hi everybody, you are listening to the Rope Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show.
1: This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now.
0: This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk, and we strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to episode zero before attempting it. Find it at the top of our FedLife page, Rope Podcast.
1: Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom, and we're work partners who've been practicing together for a few years. We're excited to share our passion for rock with you, and we live in Thailand. Uh,
0: yes, we do, Maya, and something is coming upon us soon, and that is Christmas.
1: That's true, although happily, because I will say the uh, season is a bit intense for me in some Western countries, um, it's a lot lighter here as a... Uh, Practice because obviously, this is a Buddhist country, yeah. So Christmas not so much a thing,
0: and it's always hilarious to see a Christmas tree on the beach,
1: yes, and usually for several months
0: because also, also
1: obviously, there. there's no 12th night here.
0: <laughs> so, Maya, this year have you been a good bunny or have you been a naughty bunny?
1: I've been whatever you say, sir.
0: That's the right answer. You've been a very good bunny, but you've also been a sneaky bunny. Do you Quite want that, to so. tell our dear listeners why?
1: Ah, okay, because I've been collecting stocking fillers for people for the last year. Yeah,
0: you have asked secret questions and then you spirited them away (laughs) so that the people could not hear them in the original interviews, didn't you? Yes,
1: I did, I did, because I thought it would be nice for us to have an episode for Christmas um, which contained one of the things that listeners seem to enjoy most, which is uh, scenes, So one of the things we get a lot of feedback on or questions about is, like, what does a scene look like? Uh, So for a person who's never been to a play party or is very new, um, or even someone just looking for ideas in their own play, understanding and seeing other people's scenes seems really, really helpful and interesting.
0: And also it's quite sexy to hear people talk about their favorite times with rope, right?
1: It really can be, it really can be. So yes, I have been, or we have been rather, asking um, our interviewees, of whom we've had um, five in the last um, uh, year or so It's
0: been a busy year. (laughs) Yep.
1: Um, What their favourite scene was, um, or some scene that they can remember um, that really sticks out for them, uh, so that we can um, share them with listeners for Christmas.
0: Sounds awesome. Who do we have first, Maya?
1: So first up we have uh Raiju, um who was an interviewee for us in episode 17. You talked in that last um that last example of about, about catharsis. Can can you give us an example? I know I know that's something that you're particularly focused on. Can you give us an example of a scene where you had that catharsis?
2: Mm, yes. Um uh, I would say that the scene that picks up most in my head for catharsis Ooh, I could pick between two Um, One was intentionally done as a catharsis scene And one became a catharsis scene So I'll go with the intentional one first Mm -hmm. I was at Shibari Khan And a dear friend of mine Had just finished up a scene with their partner And towards the end of it He had said, oh look, X person is free I can finally go be the sadist I don't normally get to be And then left her Um, and so when I found her, I was like, hey, something's off. what's going on? And she's like, I'm just dealing with a lot of insecurity, I'm dropping from a scene, and I'm wondering if I'm a good enough bottom, like, my partner was clearly more interested in tying someone else because they have more pain endurance and whatnot, and I was like, well, well," I I said some cuss words.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was justified, I think.
2: yeah. I specifically was like, do you want to go have a scene together? Like, would you, like, do you want to go there? And at the time, I was still very much uh, dealing with a lot of identity struggles. I had that idea that, like, I could only be a bottom. I could be nothing else. So this was a big deal for me to be like, I am trying to push this. Um, And also because of my trauma history, I have a lot of difficulty with if I'm being dominant, am I being abusive? Other conversations. Um, But... Mm -hmm how we went about that scene is i ended up comparing them to a carpet and i basically suspended them and then beat them like a carpet while talking about all the things that they had let get into their carpet fibers (laughs) 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 it's very very much like a humiliation scene that but i happened to know this person well enough and i knew this person's also a little bit of a (laughs) germaphobe So I did things I took off one of my stockings and was threatening to use that to tie their mouth closed if they kept trying to defend themselves as being worth more than a carpet and Mm. talked about the places that I would donate her corpse to. (laughs) (laughs) By the end of it, though, we had gotten to the point where when she came down and like I kind of wrapped myself and some of the other rope around her. And was just kind of checking in, like, what was she feeling? What was she aware of? What was the same? What was the difference um, from before we had started? And the main thing she said is she had, through that scene, and I'm sure other things were going on in her head that helped her reach that conclusion. I am not that kind of god. But through that scene, she had come to the conclusion that, like, it, there is no measure For what a good bottom is, quote unquote, or what a good scene is. There's only were you in the moment and did you grow from that experience? So I think in that state it was less It was less about healing that specific ailment and just having another reference point to be able to keep moving forward. Um, And, I mean, it was cathartic for me, too, because I had had somebody say, yes, I am comfortable with you topping me. Yes, I am comfortable with you using humiliation words. And yes, I am comfortable with using the personal information you have on me. And, like, (laughs) making me uncomfortable. Specifically utilizing my germophobia in Mm -hmm. our scene. Like, that's a... That has continued to be a subject matter that she and I play with, where she she has issues with with germs and dirt, and I have since done other scenes with her where, like, I hid a bowl of snow that I had gotten from a snowbank, which means it was full of dirt and grime. Mm-hmm. And then halfway through, she had been hanging in a suspension where I could easily drop just her chest lower and dropped it into the ice bucket. So at first it was the temperature play sensation that she was struggling with and then I got to tell her where I had gotten that snow from. <laughs> <laughs> she was no longer worried about the temperature. <laughs> she was worried about the fact that she was touching dirt. So mm. like this is someone I continuously <laughs> do mindfuckery with in our scenes. And so I would say that's an ongoing cathartic relationship in which we play with things or like she doesn't like when her food is mixed together. So I will make her eat while tied up, so she can't really pick <laughs> what she's eating. Like it's you, you, like the, my seeds are silly, but they also have seriousness to them. Um, you, you
0: sound like a very playful person, but with a second yes. layer of construction <laughs> in your playfulness.
2: Absolutely. Um, whether re- receiving or giving, I I enjoy playfulness. I don't. I feel that in a way, I can almost be more serious with. A partner um when I am able to be playful with them at the same time it's Mm. it almost is a gateway for me to be more emotionally connected um because there isn't that pressure to perform there isn't that pressure to be a domly dom instead I can just be in that moment and feed off of and interact with what my partner's feeling
0: that's quite cool Uh,
2: yeah And the um... other cathartic scene was like a five-minute tie. It was someone I hadn't seen in ages, and we had missed each other. And apparently it was just because of the fact that I was fully focused on them. And it was – I used one rope. It was a one-rope scene, floor Mm -hmm. work, where – kind of did a column around the ankle and then just kept tying. I kept turning them into a ball and then pushing them around and it was the fact that I had stayed focused 100% on this person and that was the only thing in my world that mattered and I was still just enjoying spending time with that person and there was no expectation of what do other people see, what do other people care, like it was just us. And that for her was super cathartic and that is still one of my favorite scenes even though it's one of the most simple scenes that I can conceptually think of. There wasn't A lot of humiliation play there wasn't pre-planning it was existing in that moment with my friend
0: just a dance with a bit of rope yep (laughs) that's that's quite nice all right that was that was quite nice and interesting I really like how the playfulness of Raiju comes through here
1: yeah very much so so she comes across um, in her topping role as a playful uh, sadist
0: (laughs) yeah definitely and I love the fact that she uses the rope to control someone. And in and then with that control, she does things to someone or she makes someone do something. But she uses the rope as a tool as part of a bigger scene construction, right?
1: Yeah, very much so. So her aim in both of those scenes was catharsis, which is something that we talked about a lot in her um, interview in episode 17. Um, and catharsis, for those that might have not have come across it, is about uh, emotional release. So it's about when you have a lot of emotions building up in you, and you you can let that go in some way and process it and become empty. Um, and she's using role play, humiliation, um, even a bit of degradation. There, I mm-hmm. would say, to give her bottom. And interestingly, as um as a side benefit, herself some catharsis.
0: Definitely.
1: Um, I think the other thing she brought up that was interesting there that's worth us noting is the um, anxiety around being a dominant and being abusive. And mm. we have come across that quite a lot, haven't we? Um, we had a conversation recently.
0: I think I think everyone who finds themselves in some kind of power exchange role as the dominant will face those questions at one point or another, uh, either by their own thinking or by accusations from others.
1: And so how do our rope tops, our riggers, um, who might also you know, be having some kind of power exchange or even just as a top, to be honest, manage those um, feelings around potential abuse?
0: Uh, as a top also, I would say rope is definitely a form of play where even if you want to have a purely top-bottom relationship, there's going to be some amount of inherent power exchange just due to the fact that usually one person is tied up and the other isn't. So the physical ability to interact is going to be on very different levels, right?
1: Um, that's super interesting and I don't agree, but I can understand where you're coming from. Like, I don't think there has to be power exchange at all with with stuff like that. I think it just can be partner, partnership.
0: I think, I think that's going to be the theme for one of our episodes next year.: probably. Okay.. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, I will just answer your core question, which is, what can the top person do about it? And I think it's important to establish well beforehand the principle you, the principles you want to play by, uh, things like how do you establish consent? Uh, how do you establish valid consent and what are you okay and not okay with doing and having a lot of talking and negotiations with your partners. And I think that's where you're going to find what for you creates the barrier between domination and abuse.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think another point that I would pick up on that is that she was very focused on aftercare. So if we Mm -hmm. uh, listen to that that soundbite, the aftercare was quite intense. She asked the person a lot of questions. Um, and so I think that's um, something that in that kind of situation is worth doing as well.
0: Yeah, so I was... think I think the top aftercare is important in that situation. If you want yeah. your top to not feel abusive, you have as the bottom or the submissive to tell them, I liked it, you made a really nice scene for me, it was a lovely connection. Things that will make them feel less like a murderous psychopath.
1: Yes, okay, really good point, really good point. Okay, So the next interview um, was episode 20, and that was an interview with Belle. And Belle is another rope switch. Um, I'm going to go
3: with one of my scenes. I'm going to go with two. I'm going to cheat and give you two. No worries. Uh One of my scenes with my partner, Michael, where I asked for rope that was going to push me, but not break me and what he did was we started on the ground and he tied mostly freeform which is something he does a lot of he tied mostly freeform but ended up creating a very stable harness uh, out of his freeform tie and slowly started putting parts of my body in the air and very very slowly ramped up the intensity, but never so fast that I felt that I need to t- needed to tap out. And then he he ramped it back down, and it was just it was after I'd been having a lot of trouble with rope in general, and then having that really successful scene makes it stand out in my mind.
0: That sounds amazing.
3: Yeah, it, it like I said, one of my favorites. Um, and then the other one on a completely different vein. Honestly, I don't even remember if Rope was involved because <laughs> the scene was like two and a half hours and there were many other things, um, but it it sticks out in my mind because of the emotions that it made me feel. So this scene was with someone who I don't play with very often anymore, um, Yam, who lives in Memphis, and we did this scene that really played on my sense of shame because I have a very strong distaste for being completely nude in public and he did this very long intense impact scene that was entirely filled with humiliation and I think some rope I think there was a little rope in there (laughs) and it that one sticks out just because it was so intense and that one did push me over the edge but he also had a skill of ramping it up so that you didn't know once you were over the edge and by that time like you're you're over the edge and everything's coming out of your eyes and you're crying and you're screaming and you don't even care because you don't want it to stop but you do want it to stop and again that's one of my favorite scenes to date
0: Sounds like a good time.
3: (laughs) I was. It was a very good
1: time.
0: So here, Maya, we have Belle sharing a deeply personal couple of stories, right?
1: Yeah, very much so. So one with her regular partner Mm -hmm. um, and then one which, um, again, interestingly, focuses very much on that emotions uh, piece. So it sounds to me like emotions might be another um, topic for next year. Who knew this would be such a good source?
0: And and also it seems like people tend to remember and to put as some of their best scenes the scenes that had intense emotion.
1: Yeah, the emotional valence of it, the scene. The
0: it's not. It's use. not so much. Oh, I remember this scene. The chest harness was tied so perfectly, and the wraps of the single column were so beautiful. Like ro- <laughs> rope isn't about the rope so much, is it?
1: Um, rope is a tool, and we have said that. Uh... All along, rope is a tool to um, get to a place where you and your rope partner want to go. And it's a beautiful, amazing and very versatile tool, but it's still a tool. It's not necessarily um, the point. What it produces in the people, what it facilitates, is
0: the point of rope. And in this case, Belle talks about wanting to be pushed. So, Maya, have you ever felt pushed in a rope scene?
1: Yeah, I was thinking about that as I was um listening and I think there's many ways you can can be pushed you can be pushed physically. Um so for me sometimes taking um long suspensions or quite painful suspensions um you know I want to perform well um for my well for you mostly because that's how I'm doing most of my long suspensions with as a rope top uh, um And then also there's an emotional side of things as well, which is like if there's humiliation or if it's um, embarrassing or if it's uh, difficult or complicated, then yeah. She talked about shame, Mm -hmm. um, which again sounds quite similar or has some things in common with the catharsis scene that Raiju um, discussed. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, the rope there really is mentioned as a kind of side thing. She says she's not even sure if there was rope. I mean, given it was EM, uh, who, funny enough, we also interviewed later because she actually recommended him as one of our interviewees. Um, Given it was EM, I imagine there was some uh, rope in there, but um, the rope is not the point of that story, for sure. What were your thoughts on those two blocks?
0: Uh, I quite liked the idea of the free-form organic tie that came together slowly and started from the ground and transformed into a progressive suspension. I think you've done a workshop on a similar topic, haven't you, Maya?
1: Um, in fact, I did it with that person. Um, so he, her partner is the person I did the workshop with in the UK, which was free-form tying and very... Um, being suspended from ties that aren't necessarily traditional forms. And, and what was, was
0: your feeling as a bottom from uh, <laughs> this unorthodox way of doing things?
1: It's pretty intense and uh, pretty scary to be suspended from a tie that, you know, is, it's more, much more risky. Um, but obviously, given he's the one teaching the workshops, he's extremely experienced at it. And funny enough, we were having this conversation yesterday. If you, if you want to do those kind of suspensions, I feel like, knowing the forms before you start twisting them is quite important. So knowing how the engineering of rope works Mm -hmm. before you start messing around and creating your own stuff, I think that's a better way to progress than just hoping that wherever you tie holds the person up personally.
0: Okay. I guess pull and pray is a way to do it, but you're saying it's maybe not the best.
1: What does that mean?
0: uh you tie someone up you anchor the rope you pull on it to suspend them and you pray they won't be hurt
1: yeah i'm super unenthusiastic about that
0: as a world bottom <laughs> <laughs> hey guys this is fox coming in for a short break we really love making this world podcast and sharing it with you sadly hosting a podcast isn't free far from it actually So if you like this podcast and you want to support us, you can do so at RopePodcast.com. You'll find ways to buy rope stuff so that we get a cut from your purchases, and also ways to donate to us directly. And if you can't afford to do that, that's okay too. Just enjoy the podcast. Now, back to our normal programming. Okay, who's our next person, Maya? Uh,
1: Our next person is Christian Red, who's um, a British... um, Mainly rope up, although he does switch as well, um, and he leads the Nottingham rope group and does quite a lot of teaching. Um, and we interviewed him in episode twenty-two. Um. So, uh, what what then would you describe as your favorite takedown rope scene? So maybe you've been involved in or watched, um, and why was it your favorite?
4: Okay. Um, I I, I had like loads of scenes I've absolutely loved um, one I did recently was um, um, so a bit of backstory the person I was playing with um, she's a model um, and she she models rope and art nude and that sort of thing she's very much um, has a very kind of carefully managed appearance um, which she's very aware of and is very kind of open about and um, but because she's very carefully managing her appearance so like the clothing she selects, etc., she's very sensitive to being pushed out of that. Mm, breaking the um,
0: cutie, we like that.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we we had a scene where she was kinda of dressed like she was going into the office and it began with me forcibly restraining her whilst standing. Um tying her in such a way so that if she were to she couldn't move her arms and if she were to struggle significantly she would choke herself mm-hmm. and having her in that position and then slowly undressing her and that kind of like slow breaking down of her physical appearance and her control of the situation um seeing the kind of general mind fucks going on in her head was really satisfying.
0: It sounds amazing. Oh, interesting, Maya. So here we have a scene where Christian is playing with his partner's appearance and I would say exposing her to some degree, right?
1: Yeah, very much so, and he's using his knowledge of the person, so he obviously knows this person reasonably well, to know that this could be a, um, something to play with, and and we've seen that in quite a few of the scenes, knowledge of the person being helpful for a more intense scene.
0: And that also reminds me a bit of what you can see in um, traditional Japanese role performances, where you start with someone who's dressed, and slowly you... Pull apart their clothes and change their appearance from a proper appearance to an appearance that the audience would consider shameful by their cultural standards. Yeah, and that very seems much to so. be playing the same chord to some extent.
1: Yeah, although I imagine, uh, given Japanese culture has different parts of the body that are more or less shameful than Western culture.
5: Um,
0: armpits. Yeah, it's all all about ex- the armpits.
1: Exactly what I was thinking. Um, then it might be. Um, might be slightly different in there. We've we've also got um, the forcible restraint piece. So the mm, takedown uh, isn't always CNC, but it uh, certainly can have elements of that. And Network, which uh, I'm a big fan of mm. myself in with certain people in certain circumstances, but I like net quote. Um
0: Have you ever again, played uh, with being exposed or with having your appearance played with in public scenes before?
1: Um, I guess exposed, yeah. I mean, we've done quite a few p- play party scenes, and so um, there's definitely been some exposure. And it's not something I'm super comfortable with, so I it definitely pushes my uh, uh, comfort levels. Um, well,
0: that, that's how we grow, isn't it? Pushing our comfort levels.
1: Is it? We'll yeah. see.
0: Um,
1: you you again, like
0: being challenged.
1: Well, that's lucky, eh? Yeah. Sticking on with a fox um the other thing in there is again that mind fuck piece so I just I just find it so interesting and this is obviously as a psychologist how much of these scenes is coming from people's head it's not just about the feel of the rope it's about what the rope and the activities represent to the people in the scene and that's what brings the emotions that's what brings the Uh, feelings and the um, intensity of the scene and so the more you can understand the psychology of your partner and of yourself and of the audience the more intense you can make your rope scenes even if you just know like two ties
0: Hmm. what do
1: you think about that
0: so should you play with people who can only tie two ties but are trained psychologists
1: (laughs) Um, honestly I mean that it has the potential to be more intense, but I do think it's also about knowing the psychology of BDSM.
0: Because in that case, you're only one tie away from being a rigger, Maya.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think there's a, a mental piece that I don't really have so much around being a rigger. I, I think see. I'm better off um, being a middle and mostly being a bottom. That's really where I am happiest.
0: Understood but we're we're giving to our dear listeners here the recipe to a very nice rope scene it seems like a lot of meaning, a lot of emotion, understanding the person you're tying with
1: yeah very much so and and perhaps only focusing on the one emotion um I don't think it has to be super complicated, so you know we have um exhibitionism, forcible mm-hmm. exhibitionism in that one we have shame in the last one um we have. Uh, humiliation in the one before. These are these are kind of a particular focus. In so you scene. don't
0: think it should have five acts with villagers coming in in act <laughs> three and?
1: I mean, if that's what floats your boat, then sure. But I don't think it has to be. And I think people can overcomplicate scenes. You know, um, Belle in that one previously was talking about like having very simple rope and ramping up yeah. the intensity.
0: Awesome. Who's next, Maya?
1: Uh, next is, in fact, uh, E.M., So um, this uh, pretty well-known, uh, very sadistic edge player. Um, we interviewed in two interviews because uh, we went a it bit longer. It just long wouldn't in- fit in one. <laughs> we asked him a lot of questions, and he was kind enough to answer. So he's in episode 29 and 30, um, and this is his uh, favorite scene yeah so um last question what's been your uh your f- most favorite most sadistic uh successful rope bondage scene what's the the scene that that you really remember
6: oh lord oh man
1: listeners love to hear about scenes because uh for many people who are in kind of more remote places they just don't get the exposure to what a scene actually looks like
6: okay okay
0: yeah give them um... some dreams man <laughs>
6: Actually, you know what? I, I have I have a really interesting story here, uh, and it was a really heavy scene. But the point is more actually how it, w- w- the the bottom and I don't actually know if it helped save her life or not.
0: Okay,
6: but, right.
0: uh, intriguing.
6: So this yeah, so this was a uh, basically uh, your you know your, your garden variety time and rope and drown him in the bathtub scene. You know, like you do everybody, uh, right? You talk yeah. about um But uh, it was it was. Uh, Uh, basically, to put it simply, she ended up in a really tight, really mean box tie. Obviously, I tied this in nylon, because the intent was, I have a very large bathtub, you know, with the Whirlpool jets and all that in the master bathroom. Mm, So, it it can hold two people very comfortably, um, even if one of them is flailing around. Um, and, uh, just a couple of, like, really, really mean, shitty Fudo Momos, and a really tight, uh, boxed arms-type tie, with her hands, like, way high up behind her back. And, uh, is drowning her in the bathtub, you know, grab her by the hair, hold her down underwater, you know, for five seconds, bring her back up, give her a breath of air, slap her face really hard, like just as she's getting her first breath or, you know, do do really tender things like punch her in the solar plexus. So you <sighs> knock the wind out of her, right? She comes up for air. Yeah. Things like this. Um, and this is somebody I've played with at least a dozen times over the course of four or five years. So this is not, so, not a new partner by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and so we're doing some very, very heavy breath play. Like I I got to the point where I was just mentally counting the 30 seconds, giving her like one breath and doing it again five, ten times in a row. And she'd come up, and the only thing she basically was doing was trying to save it out of the scene and get, you know, get me to stop, and I would drown her again. And that went on for probably four or five minutes past where she was ready to stop. It was well past what you would call red. Uh, and that's exactly what we very precisely negotiated for a couple of weeks before she showed up, is, you know, I want to go past the point. Uh, I want to go till I basically think I'm going to die, and then I want you to do it a couple more times.
0: That and, sounds very that sounds transcendent. transcendent.
6: Yes, and it really was. Uh, there was a bit of a psychological break that happened from that one, a very sharp, uh, cathartic kind of coming back together as friends and friend as opposed to monster and prey which is kind of the vibe but the scene was more serial killer has captured you as opposed to lovingly rope-top ties you Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but the ironic thing uh, and we don't you know so she had this very very intense experience being forced to hold her breath over and over and over for probably 10 minutes straight uh and it was extremely heavy and i was like as soon as as long as I was positive that I wasn't going to cause physical injury, I kept going, basically. Um, until she just completely broke, mentally. However, um, yeah, it was probably, oh man, it was probably a week or two after that, she was riding in a friend's truck uh, late at night, and the truck went off the road and flipped over and ended up upside down in the pond. <sighs> And she was underwater for a full minute or two before she finally was able to get to the knife that she, thank God, kept, like, clipped in her pocket and cut the seatbelt and swim out of the car, like, upside down in the river at night in the dark, unable to see anything. Oh, my
4: goodness.
6: And you get a breath of air. And we talked about it afterwards, and I was like, do you you think our scene may have helped you, you know, basically be able to stay calm in that life-threatening situation? And basically uh, the best we can do talking through it is we don't know if it helped, but it certainly didn't hurt.
0: Mm.
6: Yeah, I mean, there's so, a good
0: point to be made that BDSM makes us badasses in a lot of ways, right? <laughs> yes,
6: yes.
0: Okay, that's an awesome story.
6: Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Like you said, you like scenes. I thought that would be an interesting yeah, story. We do. Thank, it's a thank really you so much really for Yeah.
0: Maybe don't try this one at home, kids.
1: Yeah. So I think this um, this scene uh, is fascinating. It gives a very strong insight into. Um, EM's edge play and sadism which is the kind of things that we were talking to him about in his um, interview uh, in episodes 29 and 30. So one small thing is I'm quite jealous of his bath,
0: isn't he? (laughs) That would be so lovely to have here. In (laughs) between episodes we could go lay in a bubble bath and relax and so dear listeners if you want to go on our patreon (laughs) <laughs> and contribute to us buying a two-person whirlpool giant bathtub for the Roe Podcast Studio, that would be a really nice Christmas present for us.
1: Or, or just contribute so we can pay our hosting costs. That's also helpful.
0: <laughs> also that. Uh, yeah, we have um, we have some pretty intense consensual non-consent happening here, right? With the partner mm-hmm. negotiating that, for this particular scene, she wants her safe word to be ignored.
1: Yeah, so we didn't ask him, and maybe we should if they had another signal. But yeah, one of the key things here is that intense negotiation. Again, note that he says this is um, someone with whom he's played maybe a dozen times over a handful of years, um, to not a new partner. Um, so that enables them to go deeper because they know each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And yes, they've got this painful, sadistic tie. they've got drowning, breath play, water play, um, and he's pushing her past um, her red, which is an interesting and and tough idea.
0: I would say he's taking her to the extremes of the human experience, but probably more through physical means, whereas Mm. the scenes previous were very intense psychologically. I think here he is doing very extreme things physically, which obviously are going to put someone in a very intense psychological state as a result.
1: Mm, mm, Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a really heavy scene. Um, And then... The, the interesting thing or the kicker for this story is that it's not even just about the scene. It's that this, this person then has a super intense experience afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the potential for BDSM can save your life, kids.
0: Uh, I do think the explorations we do through BDSM both make us know ourselves better and also make us tougher persons.
1: Yeah, I think so, um, and something that I have been working on and have a long way to go is around self-acceptance, mm-hmm. um, around who I am in BDSM and what I enjoy and what I don't enjoy, um, and it sounds like within this, she very much was having that um, understanding of herself. I also think it's interesting that they he talks about the aftercare piece as them coming back together as two humans as opposed to, you know, the sadist and the... Uh, victim in the scene and I, 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 it once again emphasizes to me the importance of aftercare yeah. um, which we do have an episode on and I'll put a link to it in the show notes
0: Alright, so you said we had five people, so by my account there should be one more
1: Yep, yeah, there's one more so in episode um, 31 we interviewed IP Cookie Monster um, who's also known or whose name is also uh, Professor Julie Fennell
0: What would you say was your most memorable rope scene, and why?
5: Well, my most memorable rope scene is definitely my most memorable scene of all. And I'm very into rope spirituality. Uh, So I've run a couple of rope temples where people came and they tied with sacred intentions. Um, But the most memorable tie for me, unquestionably... Um was with someone who had a lot of issues that they wanted to work through, and they had like a real we we both started off like praying we had deep spiritual plans we'd kind of been making plans with each other for about like a week at that point um talking about the type of stuff that we wanted to do, and it was clear that they really need to make a serious change in their life and so like we invited deities to sort of possess us and uh, they tied me up while I was kind of directing the scene. So sort of, I was like challenging them throughout. This became a really ordeal type experience where I was challenging them to find beauty and through my pain, basically when they were hurting me, but also just through simplicity and, and learning to, relearning for themselves what was powerful and beautiful and rope. It was an incredibly transformative experience. And it was also really hard at the same time because I left that scene knowing it was the most powerful magic of my life. And I've been a witch for like my whole life, a pagan and uh, very seriously since I was 12. And I left that scene knowing that I would probably never do magic that powerful for the rest of my life. And I was like sobbing, t- texting a friend. I was like, imagine if you had to like, when I was leaving camp, It's like, imagine if you had to leave the hotel room where you knew you'd have the best sex of your life. They're like, that would be horrible. It's like, mm-hmm. it's really bad. Um, But at the same time, it was really amazing. And it felt like I'd been doing a lot of very specific work for months and months and months that have been leading up to that particular moment. And it was kind of in three parts. So like went through, three sections of a different ties as as we were going through it. And it was like one that was sort of really hard and then one that was more of a challenge and then one that was more of a reckoning. It was like a symphony in three parts. And, uh, yeah, it was the most amazing thing I've ever done.
0: Sounds pretty intense. It was very intense.
1: How did you decompress from that? Like, how did you come down from that experience?
5: Oh, well, so, like, we spent the night together, like, we didn't have sex, we were just, like, cuddled up, and, um, it was, it was, it was basically after, the aftercare required, like, a couple of days. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Fortunately, it wasn't, like, the last day of camp or anything, so we had, like, a couple of days to kind of, you know, do sort of more normal, fun-type things, and, like, we did even a couple of other scenes with other people, um, Co-topping and stuff, and he—I think they tied me up again, and it was—it was like we played several more times, and so it wasn't like the last thing that we did, which I think is really good. Um, but you know, it's—it was—it was—it was was hard. It was very hard to leave that camp. (laughs) Mm. It was very hard to walk away. Um, but you know,
0: managed. (laughs) Thank you, Julie, for sharing that beautiful story with us. Here, Maya, we have Julie sharing something so intense. She says she thinks it might have been the most intense experience of her life in the context of rope, right? Yeah, which is an
1: interesting um, positioning and mm-hmm. one I don't... I guess it's a, a headspace I don't subscribe to. I, think. I think you can know the past, but I don't think you can know the future. You never know what's coming. You never know what might happen in the future in terms of powerful scenes and sex and, and so on.
0: Just because you just slept with a man with a nine inches penis doesn't mean tomorrow you <laughs> won't sleep with a man whose penis is nine inches and a half.
1: So I'm going to say as a as a woman who likes men, that's so irrelevant
0: to me. <laughs> I know, that was, that was a joke.
1: Anyway, so she, oh, the thing I thought was especially interesting here, uh, especially in relation to our power exchange and um, rope thing earlier, is that she was the top in this scene, Mm -hmm. even though she was being tied. So that, to me, is very interesting. Like, topping a scene from within the ropes is unusual, Mm -hmm. um, but not impossible, and maybe listeners haven't even considered that that might be a possibility.
0: Uh, It is less common. I, I know of a few dominant women who order submissive partners to tie them in ways that they enjoy, but it's certainly less common than the other way around. Yeah,
1: yeah. So in terms of the power exchange there, it's not... Necessary that there's power exchange in that direction. I think. Um, sh- go on.
0: Uh, and I I think it's interesting what Julie said about handling the intensity of such a scene. I think all of us, when we have a really amazing scene, uh, it marks us for a long time.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, and her aftercare again. She talked about being a long time. This was a more complicated scene. So we've had some mm-hmm. um very simple scenes. Uh, where it's intense. This obviously had a lot of planning. Um, She talked about it being a symphony, which is obviously a bit more complex. And this was part of her um, paganness, which we didn't explore so much on the podcast because we had so many other topics to explore. Um, But an interesting concept of bringing rope into other areas of someone's life.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. So we have a really nice variety of scenes that have been shared with us this year. I'm very thankful to our guests for sharing such personal stories uh, with us and also with our dear listeners. Uh, What's your takeaway from what we heard today, Maya?
1: Um, My takeaway is that it doesn't take um, a huge amount of complexity to make something very intense. Mm And also that the headspace, that the emotions, that knowing the person can give you intensity just as much as, you know, the tie that you do or the activities that you do in the uh, scene. What about you?
0: Um, I think for me, and that's also what I hear um, in the guest testimonies, but maybe there's some selection bias. It has a lot to do with the connection to the person. And I don't hear anyone saying the best rope scene of my life was with a total stranger I picked up at a play party. Yeah. And I also don't hear anyone ever say the best rope scene of my life when I tied this TK really perfectly and every knot was (laughs) the right size and in the right place. Yeah, very much so. So So
1: I have a question for our listeners. Um, So I would love to hear or see examples of what the most um, fun or intense or exciting or memorable scenes were in their um, play. So maybe they can link to a writing, they could link to a picture, or they could just write us a description in the comments and inspire other people in the same way that our guests have inspired us.
0: There you go, dear listeners. If you want to make a bunny happy for Christmas, you know what you have to do. You just go to the writing for this episode on Fet Life and you leave her a comment telling her or showing her about your favorite rope thing. And that being said, that is all from us for this year at the Rope Podcast.
1: Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from at iTunes or Stitcher uh, or so on. And come find us on our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. One word, no space.
0: You can also find us easily at ropepodcast.com. We love questions from listeners, so drop us a message on FET, and we'll try to answer you next year in our upcoming episodes.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: And have fun tying.